When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And right now, Thomas Hearns is an open book for Ray Leonard. Backs up against the ropes. This is one of the most unusual calls by a referee in the history of the sport. The first loss, a tremendous victory. Leonard fighting off the ropes. It happened. It happened. Number cut by Douglas. Down goes Tyson. Hooks it. Right hand shot. Excellent. Knocks out by Tyson. Welcome, fight fans, to another episode of BTR Boxing Podcast Legendary Nights. And on today's episode, as voted for by you, the listeners and followers on Twitter, this is the tale of Chris Eubank versus Michael Watson from 1991. So, this is the tale of Chris Eubank versus Michael Watson from back in 1991 in the WBO Middleweight Championship of the World. Johnston, a fight you've always wanted to talk about on the podcast, and yet it comes up in the polls, gets voted for, and here we are. Uh, it's, a, it's another classy domestic stuff-up, really, between you know two of the best three Brits that are around at the time. and um, Obviously, both guys had beaten Nigel Benn before the first one, um, and uh, for me, I actually think Michael Watson probably just about ahead of him, really, in my opinion. I think he was, he was just a little bit more skillful, a little bit more knowledgeable and, and ring savvy. So it was a really nice fight. Obviously, he had, a, he had his defeat, which we're going to go through anyway. But yeah, it, it, was, a, it was a great dust up. Uh, another another great domestic fight um, in the early 90s. It certainly was and it's very close to the Eubank Ben one that we did for Legendary Nights not too long ago. So if you've not already checked that out, please go and look in the feed and you will find that episode if you want to listen to that. Before you start getting into this episode, I would strongly advise it because it will set you up nicely for what we're about to talk about here in this episode. So as always, we will go through the careers of both men leading up to this particular fight 
tonight. We'll talk about Chris Eubank. We'll talk about Michael Watson. We will talk about the build-up to the fight. We'll talk about the fight itself. And as always, we will cover off the aftermath of what this fight meant for these two fighters and what it meant for boxing as well. So going into careers then, let's talk about let's talk about Michael Watson first. He was the challenger for the WBO middleweight title in this fight. And obviously we're talking on the basis of we was quite young when these fights were happening. So we're talking quite retrospectively for this episode because it's not something we was was probably well versed with at the time. So looking back on the research and looking back on the stuff that we've done prior to this episode, Michael Watson uh, had, a, had a really good apprenticeship before he had this world title shot. And one of the one of the notable sort of fights I I look back on when I was looking back through Watson's career was his was his fights with Ben and McCallum in particular because I felt like these this was where he really came to the forefront of the middleweight scene in boxing because obviously he'd been working his way up fighting domestic opponents with relatively losing records or 50-50 records building that apprenticeship up to get himself ready for an opportunity and his first major fight came in 1989 when he faced off against another one of them three middlemates that you alluded to earlier which was Nigel Ben at Finsbury Park 21st of May 1989 he faced off against Nigel Ben who was 22-0 and at the time and I tell you what, man, that's another fight. If you haven't seen it, I'd, we implore you to go and watch it because the, the, the trilogies between these fighters, the, the Benz Watsons, the Eubank Benz, you know, they were absolute fantastic pioneering fights of British boxing in that particular era. But going back to that particular fight with Nigel Ben, that was a cracking fight, wasn't it? Oh, it was a really good fight. Um, obviously, Ben was, was the knockout artist. He was the one going in as, as the pretty much... A big favourite. Um, most people expected him to get rid of Watson, I think. Uh, but Ben sort of went on that seek and destroy on, on an early mission against Watson, uh, and it didn't serve him too well. He uh, he, he really went for it, um, and obviously just just blew a gasket. He blew himself out, and and the fourth round in particular was one for the ages. It was it was just in the end, it, Ben actually was stunned as well at that in that round um but it, it was just one of those fights where it, it could have gone either way i suppose obviously ben's come out he's tried to take out Watson early literally gassed out and watson just worked behind the jab like he does and he does so skillfully he had that sort of upright stance and he would just throw that jab out and try and follow it up with a right um and he didn't get overwhelmed with what ben was doing um, he almost sort of felt that he knew ben was going to tire at some point uh, and he ended up getting rid of him in the sixth. And, and it was a jab, weirdly. He put him down with a jab, but it was more to do with Ben. Obviously, the, the punishment he had received during the fight, he had dished out and, and, and basically he was just knackered, absolutely cream-crackered. And, and eventually that was what ended the fight, but really good performance from Watson. And, and it was a fight where Mike McCallum was in the horizon and, and he got the better of Ben that night and put Ben, you know, his first defeat. Obviously, Ben got stopped as well, something he'd never experienced before in his career. So Ben, it was back to the drawing ball for him, but for Watson, it was moving on for that WBA title against Mark McCallum. Also on that particular card was a young Johnny Nelson, who was 13-5 and five at the time, fighting for the British Cruiserweight title, which he subsequently won on the same night as Nigel Ben versus Michael Watson. A little known fact for people there who may not know about that, but yeah, Johnny Nelson, good old Mr. Johnny Nelson from Sky, the man that comes out with some of the greatest one-line comments in commentary of, of the fights, and yeah, he was on the same bill, 1989, 21st of May. So you 
you're talking about that McCallum fight then, that was where his big test came because obviously he put himself up to the world level to fight Mike McCallum, who by all you know, by by, by all respects, he was he was a little bit of a he was a little bit of a killer in the ring. The guy was 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 really vicious in the ring and he was a guy that had completely done fantastic things throughout the, the nineteen eighties. Mike McCallum started his career in nineteen eighty one. He was just on a string of KOs, TKOs. If you look back through his record, it's it's absolutely ridiculous to see how much of a big puncher Mike McCallum really was. So there was a lot of there was a lot of obviously reservations going into this fight for Michael Watson because Mike McCallum would be Lloyd Hunnigan who beat Donald Curry so there's a name that people will remember because that was one of the big biggest upsets in, in boxing history when obviously Lloyd Hunnigan went over to America and beat Donald Curry so Donald Curry was a was a was a a resume, a part of his resume. Then another name on his resume that people will also know. Two more. Harold Graham. Harold the Bomber Graham. He also beat him to, to win the vacant WBA title uh, and a split decision against Harold Graham in 1989. And then before the Michael Watson fight, he defended his title against Steve Collins. So Mike McCallum's resume going into the fight with Michael Watson was this guy is legitimately a, a, a really good fighter. He's a class champion. He's beaten all the fantastic prospects and well-versed fighters out there. And he was a massive, massive underdog going into this fight, Watson. But he went in there and he absolutely gave it his all. He did. He did, Watson. He, he put everything on the line. Uh, and as you say, Mike McCallum, you know, just, just beating Steve Collins. Steve Collins first defeated his career beat Harold Graham had only lost to one uh, lost one fight itself and as, you, as you've also alluded to Donald Curry but he, he was a huge favourite and credit to Michael Callum for actually coming over to, to England to fight Watson as well um, but yeah Watson obviously he had the one defeat early in his career which was against James Cook um, and he did he, he, in the end of the day he put a good account of himself but you know those body shots really took effect um, and Mike McCallum tar- targeted the body and, and he showed weaknesses in Watson's armory but it was a, you know as I said it was, a, it was a good performance in terms of you know he, he pushed himself as much as he probably could but Mike McCallum was just a bit of a league above um, and yeah he, he got rid of him eventually uh, knocked him out didn't he he knocked him out in the 11th round um, of 12 at Royal Albert Hall so unlucky for Watson but you know back to durable for him now and, and Ben who was sort of trying to start his resurgence and obviously Obviously, Eubank ticking along nicely. So the three of them, although uh, Eubank hadn't been beaten, uh, Ben uh, obviously had the one defeat against Watson. It was all sort of, they were coming together. You knew there was going to be more fights ahead and, and, and Eubank was, was the other guy coming through. So, yeah, unfortunate for Watson. He didn't quite get that performance he needed. But, you know, it, it happens, unfortunately. And uh, as I say, he's, he had already lost one fight. He had drawn with Israel Cole as well. So he was he knew he had to, you know, he could dust himself off and go again. Yeah, he certainly could. And obviously he came back and beat another well-notable British name in Errol Christie in November of 1990. Then he went on to beat Craig Trotter for the Commonwealth middleweight title. And then he went on to beat Anthony Brown. And then... This is where we get the Eubank fight. He comes in against Chris Eubank. So he'd, he'd had uh, the experience at the top level at this point. And as you rightly pointed out, he, he took a defeat at the highest level against you know the man that was 
I'd say he was probably the king of middleweights at that time and that moment in time. Yeah. He was he was the guy to be. He was the number one of the division, hundred percent. And he'd had that experience. And, and what we will talk about later on down the line in in the actual fight breakdown is that he'd learnt a lot from that loss to McCallum. And as we talk through the fight later, we'll actually be able to allude back to that because there's a few things that he'd learnt from the fight itself with McCallum that he he started to look to use in the fight with Eubank. So that was quite an interesting prospect and something that the commentators alluded to throughout the process of the fight but moving on to Eubank's career of course and we've covered a lot of Eubank's career on the previous episode when we did the Eubank Ben fight so I don't want to touch too much onto onto that particular uh, career because we did a bit of a breakdown on that in the the, the Eubank Ben so if you do want to hear our breakdown of Chris Eubank's career leading up to the fight with Ben, then go back and listen to that one. So, quickly leading into the fight then with Michael Watson, obviously at this point, he'd had his biggest fight against Nigel Ben in 1990, the previous year, and then he defended his title twice, once against Dan Sherry, once against Gary Stretch, and then the fight was made with Michael Watson. And a lot was to be said about it because it was essentially a British a British grudge match or it, what, it's what turned into a British grudge match more than anything it was the two guys two British guys one London one from Brighton you know very close proximity to each other uh, bragging rights was up for grabs here not just the WBO middleweight title there was a lot on the line here between these two so Eubank had, had already had this epic fight with Nigel Ben the previous year and which he picked up the victory and he was he was another man he was behind I'd say behind McCallum at the time he was probably the other man in the division to beat because he'd held the WBO title at that moment in time so we talk about Eubank going into this fight he already had that experience of being in big fights especially big British fights when he faced Nigel Ben so he was already ready for a fight like this and his style and his arrogance always played through from the from the moment he stepped foot in the ring to the moment he stepped foot at the press conferences he was always really really arrogant and going into the build-up for this was no different it's exactly the same wasn't he um you know, Watson was obviously different to Ben in his, in his attitude. He was well liked Watson. He was he had a good manner about him, um, and he, and he didn't really get into anything with Eubank. I'm glad that the man believes in his own hype. You know, he's foolish enough to take this fight, and I don't think he realizes what he's up against. And you know, my skills are far more superior than his. And you will know that on June the 22nd. If you don't mind? Can you take those silly glasses off as well? It's not that Eubank was sort of just dismissing him like he would always do with all of his opponents. Um, but it, it was it going to be an interesting fight because obviously with Watson, you know, sort of recovering, he, he actually fought on the undercard against Errol Christie of Ben Eubank as well, the first one in 1990. So he, he was obviously, you know, he had those three defeats leading into the fight. I mean, three wins, so leading into the fight after McCallum lost. But yeah, Eubank, his usual, just his usual cocky self, wasn't he? I, I, if I remember rightly, I haven't got it down, but Watson was basically saying he's just going to go out there and he's going to do a job on, on Eubank and he, he's going to beat him with skill and, and with just that ability and, 
and knowledge that he had learned in his career already. Yeah, and it, there was a lot of posturing, as always, from Chris Eubank in the lead-up to this. And for what little footage you can actually get access to on the internet, you can actually see just another typical Eubank interview, really. And, and when you go and check it out, you just, you'll sit there, you'll either love it or you'll hate it, because the guy was literally the living proof of Marmite. He was the guy that everybody loved to hate. He was the pantomime villain. And this was no different. People liked Watson because of Watson's style. He was comfortable forward he was aggressive he, you know he'd give it his all whereas Eubank at times he was very much he'd sometimes he'd be a little bit laxadaisy in fights he'd, he'd fight on the back foot a lot he'd counter punch but it was only really when he was in these testing moments where you'd see the best of Chris Eubank as well and going into that fight in a few moments that was no different in this particular fight a lot of posturing uh, a lot of the the, the showmanship, a lot of the walking around the ring, posturing between rounds, it's just something that he's, he's always going to be known for and, and like I say, you either love, the, you love it or you hate it and it's your own preferences to, to what you think about all that but in the build up to this, he was just being as overconfident as always, you know he's saying he was you know he was going to defend his title quite comfortably against a limited opponent which uh, was quite disrespectful I mean obviously Watson had lost at the highest level so you know, in, in Eubank's mind it was like well you know, I'm gonna beat a guy who, who you know he can't beat a champion. I, I am the champion. I'm gonna beat him, and it's the the overall sort of sheer cockiness of, of how he was going into the fight. But for Watson, as as you said, he was he was more well mannered, well spoken, and you could tell his mind was on the job. He wasn't drawn into the the, the mind games a hundred percent for this one, and it was quite evident when we come into the fight that he really he really he didn't really let all the outside antics get to him like some of the other opponents of Eubank like you know in Ben, for example, the year before, Ben, had, you could tell Ben had let that get to him just a little bit. The fact that he was really pushing to, to try and stop Chris Eubank in that fight, which ended up leading him to gas out a little bit in their particular fight. So this was Michael Watson who was coming here cool, calm and collected after being at the highest level, losing at the highest level and coming back and learning. And that was the biggest thing that when you watch the, the Mike McCallum fight and when you watch this particular fight, you can see how much he'd actually learned from that fight as I was talking about a little bit earlier. So it was it was great. For British fans at the time, it was great because obviously we had another British good match involving two of our own middleweights, which it's it's quite difficult to get that now. It's quite difficult to get two or three, four fighters in, in the same division which all end up facing off against each other. I mean, the, 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 night, the early 90s to mid 90s was fantastic for middleweights and super middleweights all these guys were around all these guys were involved in in big fights people like Steve Collins Nigel Benn Chris Eubank obviously we've got the, the the early Watson fights as well so it was really great to get another great British grudge match going into this so the fight itself man where do where do you want to start because it was there was two fights of Michael Watson and Chris Eubank, and we'll we'll talk about the second one uh, a little bit later on. We won't touch too much on that, but we will talk about it. But the, this particular fight, you always said to me, this was the better of the fight. Do you still stand by that? I do. Yeah, I, I, I like the second fight. I did. I enjoyed it. I just, I just felt this was. I, I don't know. It was just a, a, a bit of an edge to me for for me, um, and I felt that because maybe because Chris Eubank overlooked him, maybe as well. We didn't realise how good he was. Um, and then when he actually fought in the, the, the second time, he, he had actually improved. He had t- taken a lot from the first fight, Eubank. Um, but I, I just, I still just think this is this is the one that gets it for me. I, and 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 it was it, obviously the tragic events that happened in the second fight. I mean, it, you can't. It, it's difficult to not talk about that. But you know, the fact that 
it was still a good fight. And I think that gets overlooked, the fact with everything that happened. But it was very significant, the second one. Uh, probably it was a lot more significant than the first because it, it changed boxing. It changed boxing completely. But yeah, for me, I just I just enjoyed the first one. I thought, you know, you for me, Eubank started really well and then Watson came back. Uh, and that was basically the story of the fight. Obviously, a lot more happens than that. But, you know, yeah, even just... The ring entrance, obviously, Eubank come in with two simply the best and flying over the ropes, his usual sort of hurdle over the top rope he would do. No, no music getting cut off for this one, like like we, <laughs> like we had in in the Ben fight, um, and and even literally from the point the bell rang, Eubank just stood there like a statue. He waited for Watson to start coming over to him in the corner before he then decided to glide around the ring in that unorthodox style, that crab-like style he, he always had. Um, and just literally from the off, he, he was he was targeting the body. So he had obviously watched the Mark McCallum fight and, and he's in his head straight away thinking I'm going to work the body and then eventually I'm going to get rid of him like Mark McCallum did. Didn't quite work out that way, but that was the initial stage for Eubank. He, he was straight sort of that those it was his quick right hands but mainly left hands to the body um, little jabs to the body clearly trying to exploit the vulnerabilities of Mark McCallum and use to dispatch Watson in the in the world title fight. But Watson looked more relaxed. He wasn't sort of agitated by Eubank and what he had done previously. There wasn't too much involved in the build up. So he was just going into the ring to do his job and he was just another opponent for Watson and he just looked really nice and calm. His shoulders relaxed with Eubank was really stiff, but he was always had that sort of stiff style anyway. But he, you could see he was he wasn't as more as relaxed as what Eubank uh, as what Watson was. Um, but yeah, most of his shots were just out of range for me with Watson in that first round. But it, it was a good opener, and obviously Eubank took took a while to return to his corner while he just sort of strutted around the ring while Watson went back yeah, as you would, and he, he took a little while for him to to eventually go back to Ronnie Davis. But you know, again, that is Eubank just a showman, wasn't he? Yeah, it was, and that first round was was, was quite surprising to me because when watching it back you, you see Michael Watson he tried to command the centre ring he was the one that was pushing the, the action throughout this round and, and a lot of the rounds which we'll, we'll push on in a bit and for me Chris Eubank was I was surprised by the tactics that he'd adopted for it given the fact that he was calling Michael Watson a limited opponent and yet he started on the back foot and he's trying to pop the jab off and he's trying to throw the odd pop shot here and there into it, but Michael Watson's trying to sort of work his way in. Uh, you know, he's, he's trying to cut the ring off basically going into that first round. I mean, there were some good good exchanges between the two of them, but it was it was more of I would say a scouting mission in that first round for both men. It was more of a a way to understand what the tactics were from one another, and you get that in a lot of a lot of big fights like this, where you'll get two guys where you think to yourself, you've been really excited to see the fight, and the first round comes and the bell goes, and you think you're right. Let's have it. And then all of a sudden, you just get them sort of really tentative, not throwing too much, but throwing the odd shot yeah. to, to obviously try and win the round. And that's what this was. This first round was very much like, what are you going to do? Who's going to faint first? Who's going to throw that first shot? And, and as the round went on, you could see Watson was starting to, to push the action a little bit. And again, it was a difficult round. If you were scoring the fight, you must have had an absolute hell of a job of a time trying to score it because this particular round, the first round, it was so difficult to score because there wasn't really a lot in it. You could you could go even with it. it, it I think uh, I actually think the, the, the guys that are on um, broadcasting it, I actually think 
gave and I think someone actually gave it a, a, a tied round but I could see why I, I literally for me I just I, I don't know why I give it to Eubank I suppose I watched it a couple of times I just felt that uh, Watson was just it was just out of range slightly and Eubank as you say he was just sort of basically counter counter attacking everything was a counter punch and he was just they were just feeling each other out I mean, a ten. You could go ten, ten. Uh, again, I always go back to the point that Eubank was the champion. He could be a little bit more reserved, whereas whereas Watson needed to be a little bit more on the front foot and try and find that range. But he, he you know, he weren't close enough, and Eubank was was clever enough to to, to keep his distance. So that's why I, I would give the first round to Eubank. But I mean, even moving into the second, there wasn't no, there were no clear punches landed apart from a left hand from Eubank, um, who continued to just counter Watson uh, for much of the round. Uh, Watson was obviously on the ca- on, on the offensive. He was the one trying to force the fight. So. So some people may look at it and think, actually, well, Watson's trying to, you know, he's putting the pressure on. He, he deserves to get the round if there's nothing clean. But for me, Eubank just, again, he, he avoided a lot of his shots. He wasn't really, no one really caught anybody apart from this one particular left hand that I, I, I noticed from Eubank. So pretty much the same in a second. I think what what was the telling factor in, in this fight as the fight goes on and I might you might feel like I'm jumping ahead a little bit but I'm just trying to give people yeah. a bit of an understanding of, of if you've not watched the fight as such or if you have watched the fight what we was interpreting when we watched it so what I interpreted from the, the, the opening few rounds of the fight was that as I said earlier Michael Watson was the aggressor Chris Eubank was the counterpuncher but the difference between the two of them in them early rounds was that although Michael Watson was pushing the action and judges can see the aggressiveness and, and sometimes do score it based on the aggressiveness even if they aren't landing a lot of shots or if a lot of shots are actually landing on the gloves and the arms or the elbows when Chris Eubank did throw his shots they were really accurate and when they landed they really landed so it was a case of the accuracy of the punches from, from Chris Eubank was spot on whereas from Michael Watson for me it was more about I'm going to try and hustle you I'm going to try and just try and throw a few shots in and, and look the busier fighter in here and try and you know put my authority into this fight but from a judge's perspective obviously they're, they're, they're interpreting things in a different way and it's something we'll talk about as, as the end of the fight comes about how the scorecards went down and, and how it all ended of course but for me it's, it's it, early rounds interpreting it it was like if you're a judge you're either going to go off the aggressiveness of Michael Watson or you're going to prefer the counter punching more accurate shots of Chris Eubank and I felt like that was what it was like during the course of the first three to four rounds because they started to get a few more significant shots being landed from from Chris Eubank but again it was just I didn't feel like the output from my perspective was as, as much so it felt like when you watch it you feel like you you know Eubank's not doing enough here but Watson's the one that's pushing the fight and that's how I felt through throughout the majority of the fight until the second half of the fight came which is where I've started to feel Eubank started to understand that he needed to put the pressure on but just jumping back to them earlier rounds did you feel like watching the fight it was a case of that did you feel it was about the fact that the aggressiveness from Michael Watson was what was pushing the fight um yeah I get I completely get your point Sean it it is really difficult to, to judge it because obviously with Watson being the aggressor, he's obviously found the more shots. Eubank being a counter puncher, it really is what 
sort of style you like. And, and even Jim Watt mentions it sort of in and around sort of round seven. He actually brings up that interesting point is how do you score? Do you score for the aggressor or do you score for the counterpuncher? In those early rounds, especially, they are tough to call because obviously Watson is the one closing the gap. He is, but, but at times I just thought it was a little bit too far out. It was a little bit out of distance. Although he's throwing shots, he was landing a few times. But I just felt that Eubank was a little bit more elusive and, and he was able to, to just find the cleaner shots. And I think that for me, nicked it I think personally that was why I would went I went with Eubanks with the first couple of rounds um, but yeah it, it's, it's tough isn't it it depends I normally prefer the aggressor that's just the way I like I'd like to see a fighter put put the other guy on the back foot um, but you know credit to Eubank he obviously sensed that he ain't going to go there toe to toe with Watson not necessarily because he ain't got he's got a poor chin because he had he, the one thing he hasn't got is a poor chin he's got a granite chin but maybe he just felt that he needed to reserve his energy himself because he knew that Watson will continue in the same vein every single round so it, 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 it's, it's a really one it's a tough one to call um, I I I prefer the early work, the first couple of rounds from Eubank, the counter-punching with the cleaner shots, as opposed to Watson being the man closing the distance, and, uh, trying to close the distance and being the aggressive fighter. So as, as the middle rounds come around then, we're talking, say, five, six, seven, eight. For me, it's starting to pick up a little bit more in terms of excited excited fans and excitedness of, of, of us, really. When I watched it, I was like, you know, I have seen the fight before, but watching it back again, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see because obviously I know this is where the fight's starting to to really hop a little bit now because Chris Eubank is starting to to unload a little bit more now he is throwing more combinations in if if for me it was like he was using the old Sugar Ray Leonard tactic of you know he was letting Watson sort of trying to work but then towards the end say the last minute of the fight uh, or the last minute of the round he was then starting to throw the combinations in on Watson but in I think it was round five or round six there was a shot that Watson threw which was absolutely the same shot which Mike McCallum threw on Watson so he actually learned that screw shot up the middle to the body from Mike McCallum and he'd implement it into the fight with Chris Eubank he landed a really good body shot in the in the fight and I thought it was <laughs> I thought it was like wow as he uh, as he really just as he really just learned to do that and use somebody else's shot on a guy that wouldn't have expected to see it coming but it was a great shot he landed it it was a, it was a great shot and the commentators alluded to the fact that that I'd done that and he'd learned that from the Mike McCallum fight but this is where Eubank for me started to started to come back into the fight in terms of his his output he started to land more punches his accuracy was still spot on when he was when he was getting through with one he wasn't just leaving that one shot he was then following up with two threes and fours and that was what for me was starting to make the difference in the middle rounds of the fight I felt like Watson then was was obviously starting to, 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 to get hurt a little bit more in the fight there was a couple of moments where I felt in between them rounds where both of them had took some some really good shots but both of them had took them really well oh yeah they, they both did and, and they both really started to uh, you know they at times now it was getting to the point where Eubank wasn't backing off as much and as you say when he was throwing his jab he was following it up with twos and threes um, in the fifth round in particular he had this blistering hand speed it was a right hand that did really shook Watson to his knees um, and it also brought a swelling on the eye early on for Watson in and around the fifth but Watson also landed a right of his own but Eubank again barely blinked I mean it, it, he was 
it, when he took these shots flush, it, it didn't seem to, to take any effect onto you on Eubank. It was almost like he just walked through him. Um, I think for, for, for Eubank, it was more to do with his, his ability and his fitness. Not, not, you know, in terms of it, not necessarily the shots. Obviously, the shots you're going to take is obviously going to take something out of you. But he, that that it was more of a fitness thing for Eubank. I think maybe that's why he was so reserved in the early exchanges because he thought he or he knew that that what Watson's going to bring is he's going to bring this this constant pressure. Uh, and even again in the fifth, the crowd were cheering on Watson when uh, right at the end of the round, uh, Eubank decides to sort of pose in in the ring rather than go back to his corner again around the fifth because he could sense that. The crowd were really getting behind Watson now because Watson had done well in the third and, and he had a, had a good a good go of it in the fifth. Um, and, and Eubank sort of thrived off of the crowd at times when they would boo him and he was getting geared. That almost ignites something in Eubank and, and he starts coming, you know, he really starts to sort of want to prove that you know, rather than backing off, he's going to he's going to go for this now. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was a it was an interesting middle round, and it really did start going. The crowd started to get behind the fight, and Watson was really just showing excellent footwork and good head movement, especially in the sit. Uh, Watson was quicker to the punch than Eubank by this point. So so Eubank is obviously he's trying to turn it with the mental games now because obviously Watson is now he's starting to get that joy. Where in the opening. Sort of Ramsey was pushing it and, and being the more of aggressive fighter. He was just, as I say, I keep saying he was always just out of range for me. But then all of a sudden he's finding his range now. He's hitting, he's throwing a couple of shots himself. But in Eubank, it was backing off, but then coming back with his own exchange. And all of a sudden we've got this great fight now. And as we're going into sort of in, in a championship round, if you like, when you go into sort of six and seven and eight, it was just, it, was, it took its time. It was a slow burner. And I think they sort of filled each other out. And as soon as it got to sort of like the fourth, end of the fourth and into the fifth, it, it, that was when it really started igniting and, and becoming a really good fight. Let's just take a quick pause just to give a shout out to the sponsors for BTR Boxing Podcast. It's Bear Attack Boxing, providing you with the highest quality boxing equipment that there is out there. And there's a specific product that I want to bring to your attention today. So, you know, when you're training and you're going using the bag or you're going doing a bit of sparring, one of the most key elements to that is having some high quality hand wraps. But there's also the inner glove as well. I don't know how many of you guys use the inner glove, but I prefer to use the inner glove when using the heavy bag or when using it for sparring. It's a lot easier just to get straight on, fits on quite nicely, really lightweight, get them on the inside of your gloves to protect your hands. It's a quicker and easier alternative to hand wraps with the inner gloves. It gives you the protection you need and it's got a wrist strap as well to allow you to make it as snug as you like because it's really important to make sure they fit correctly because you don't want to damage your hands. Bear Attack Boxing, I've got them on offer, only £6.99. pence. So I implore you to get over there now and snap a bargain up. Go and get it on bearattackboxing.co.uk. High quality boxing equipment. The inner glove, only six ninety nine. Please jump over there, go and get it. It's a great deal, and they're just as cheap as what you can buy them on other websites. That the quality isn't as great as, so please go and check them out. The inner glove, only six ninety nine. uk. Find them on social media: Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at Bear Attack Boxing.
Did you see in round seven? The uh, it's like a backhand, wasn't it? That uh, Eubank had threw and he'd caught <laughs> yeah. uh, caught Watson with, and obviously the referee uh, Frank Cappuccino would have to tell him off for that. It was uh, I just seen he was like you naughty little man. How how could you just keep doing that and getting away with it? But one thing I will say about the fight overall before we move on to the towards the end of the fight is that for me the referee did an absolutely fantastic job of allowing the fight to take place and not being too involved in the fight that was one of the things that has happened over the years in many notable fights that have involved British fighters where they've not been allowed to work most notably Ricky Hatton versus Floyd Mayweather in 2007 Joe Cortez wouldn't let Ricky Hatton work in that fight so he wasn't able to to to, to get the shots off against Mayweather however in this fight Frank Cappuccino had allowed the fight to go he'd allowed them to work when they did get close together he weren't jumping in too quickly but yeah in round seven he got he sort of threw that sort of backhand over over the back well it was over the back of his head really and then um, as as he sort of come over the top of his head he sort of threw this little back fist into into Watson's face and obviously the yeah, referee was yeah, like yeah, yeah. no you can't and the do referee, that. Yeah. sorry the referee, the referee was completely right to have a word with him and he actually done that he sort of caught him in the sort of headlock and sort of hit him on the top of the head in the first round as well right at the end of that round so it was yeah it was naughty from Eubank it, it was obviously I think he was starting to feel the effect and, and he knew that he just wanted to, to upset uh, Watson's rhythm. Yeah, and when they came out for round eight, Eubank came out of the blocks absolutely flying. He just started to throw multiple combinations to the head, to the body, and you could start to see that he was really coming out of his shell now. It was like he knew he needed to put the pressure on. He knew he needed to, to start winning the second half of this fight. Although a lot of people, uh, ringside observers, ringside press, at, at one point had actually had Eubank up by a two, or, two or three rounds, whereas the common has openly said that he was having it really, really close. It was, it was sort of more pushing a, a draw at this point of the fight. I think I'm, I'm tend to shade for Watson. Watson's jabbing beautifully. He's being more aggressive. What he need to do is to be more aggressive. He give Eubanks too much time to relax and pose. It should be all over Eubanks. You give him time to do what he want to do. Do you think Watson's strong enough to last the distance? Sir? That's the question mark in my mind at this point. Eubanks took fresh at this point and was strong in the fight, going up the seventh round. Watson's doing all right, but he's not looking strong. Look at his weakness. But yeah, as that, as that eighth round uh, commenced, it was where the lot of a lot of the good action came for both of them because Eubank really at this point was 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 unloading different shots. He was throwing uppercuts off the back foot. Uh, he was throwing them body shots. He he was really sort of trying to push. To, well, he was trying to go to work on Watson, but Watson were backing down, and that's what I really enjoyed about the the, the, the both men in the in this particular fight is that no matter what happened, both men would would not really take much of a of a of a back step as the later end of the fight came. In the first half of the fight, you had Eubank, who was the slick counterpuncher, who was working on the back foot, but the second half of the fight came, he was a lot more aggressive. This eighth round in particular was, was quite a notable one for me, where I felt like, you know, Eubank was really starting to throw shots from all angles. You know, some wild haymakers over the top at one point, where it, it was very it was very wild at this point. I think he was starting to, like I say, he was starting to understand that he needed to really put the pressure on and, and, and basically make sure he was winning this fight. He's lying in, he's stepping in a bit closer now, Watson, given as you've been saying early on. That's what he has to do, he has to put this man under a little bit more pressure. If there's too much space between the two of them, that suits Eubank. 
what is this going to have to move in and throw punches and twos and threes going into the, going from there into to sort of the ninth and tenth rounds at this point again it's the action's just just brilliant I mean it's really toe to toe stuff at this point so you've got both men coming forward you've got Chris Eubank throwing some unorthodox shots but then you've got Michael Watson really trying to throw these shots down the middle a lot of Watson shots in sort of rounds nine and ten were were sort of straight down the middle they were like sort of underneath the hooks and the wild swings of Eubank he was throwing these short sharp body shots in there and, and it was really impressive and Eubank was trying to work on the body at the same time because that's obviously one of the weaknesses that he picked up on from the Mike McCallum fight so rounds 8 and 9 really really impressed me I really started to enjoy the fight at this point yeah round 8 was brilliant and round 9 I, I, as you say he did come flying out the blocks didn't he Eubank he literally run from one from his corner to Watson's in that round considering the difference from the first where he just sort of stood there like a statue so he obviously knew in his head that Watson's is coming back in this fight now and, and as you, you pointed out for, for, the, for the guys that sort of had Eubank up I had him up but sort of going into to the eighth I had him a round up so you know for me I thought Watson won the eighth round as well so it was even I had it even at that point going into round nine um but yeah, it was a good flurry from Eubank. Watson took any of the shots that sort of got through. Eubank, as you say, missed with that wild left hook, which was, he, he went for everything because he was really sitting down on his shots, Eubank. He was really trying to sort of hit him with that one shot to rock Watson. Um, but at times he was still sort of, he was mixing it up. You know, he was, he was throwing rights and left. And, and then on the bell, particularly on the eighth, Eubank lands the right hand right on the bell. At, at the end of round eight, which did you could see it took effect on effect on Watson. You bank now, you know, without without really throwing punches, just moving and stalking him and forcing him into making some mistakes. You bank's looking for uh, deep breaths now. Yeah, you see, it's for the first time that you bank actually using his feet to get away. There, there he goes again. A little ring a ring of roses there. The way he goes in circles. See, see, you bank never sustains punching rage. So sometimes. When he throws five or six punches, he's out of breath quick and he goes for a rest. He's, he probably trains the same way he fights, he doesn't sustain the action. But in round nine, I, I think it's Ronnie Davis that actually knows that Watson's clawing his back, this is even. He, I think he probably himself maybe had Watson up a round or he had it even himself because as he come up for, for round nine, he actually, just before the clip goes in, you know, on YouTube, you don't get everything as such. I think you might have, the cameras might have been on Watson, but as it flicks over to Eubank, as he's about to come, you see Ronnie Davis just gives Eubank a massive slap round the face. <laughs> like for some, some proper old school shit there. And uh, so Eubank, Literally, obviously, he understood that you know he needs to he needs to go for it now, and uh, so he started the round literally sort of sort of on the front foot, if you like, trying to push Watson back. Um, and then as the round goes on, Watson's just too strong, and he still he looked more fresher. And all of a sudden, Eubank starts to slow, and he he starts to reduce back. So from the point where he, Ronnie Davis is telling him now, you, you know, he's getting any zero, you need to get on Watson. He's tried, and obviously he started to blow a little bit, and that's when Watson sort of now he, he can he can he feels a bit more confident. I think he notices that Eubank's flagging a little bit, um, and he actually you know, but in saying that, Eubank comes back with one of those pot shots, land a left that hurts Watson. It's a wonderful shot um, before another left. You know, it, it was followed by by Eubank again. So I suppose what what you're starting to get to the point now, especially. Especially in round nine, where Eubank starts throwing these pot shots, sitting down on them, and he does follow through sometimes, and they're hurting Watson. But Watson's coming forward every time, and he, he, he begs. You know, you've got to ask the question: Is 
like we're saying, do you go with the aggressor or do you go with the counter-puncher? In, in round nine, which I found interesting, was you had Eubank throwing the heavier shots, but then you had uh, Watson throwing more shots with jabs and right hands. So how do you judge that? Do you judge, is a power shot stronger than if you're hitting a guy with jabs? You know, this, can you see what I mean? I, I don't quite, yeah. it's difficult because people, when they use sort of the punch stats, for instance, and I always say, I'm never particularly, I'm not really keen on them because one sort of heavy shot, which you can consider a power shot, is that count as three sort of, Jab, you know what I mean? Sorry, it's weird. I, I, I mean, I give the round to Watson uh, because I just, I, I felt that Eubank was missing a lot, and he, when he, when he, when he was in range, but Watson continually walked him down, and he, he basically dominated him for, for a large chunk for that round. And then we moved into to round ten, and and to be honest with you, round ten was much more of the same of eight and nine. It was very much both men were they had the moments of succession, they had the moments of aggression throughout the fight. Really, really close, uh, close knit. Some great uppercuts on the inside from Eubank. Some great body shots again. He was really trying to wear Michael Watson down at this point, and it started to make me feel like maybe Eubank and his corner felt like this was where they were going to take the fight in terms of they were going to get him late they were going to stop him late they were going to try and beat beat the sort of wind out of him you know with all the body shots that they were throwing on him they were trying to beat the beat the fight out of him essentially is what they were trying to do but Michael Watson much to his credit for this particular fight you know he continued to exchange whenever Eubank threw one two three four combinations Michael Watson's still there he still comes straight forward straight forward trying to get straight under the jab throw the body shots in and it was it was exciting to see a fighter just not backing down. It's exciting to see a fighter. He wasn't phased by anything, and that was what was the most impressive about this particular fight. Is Watson, although he'd had that heavy defeat to Mike McCallum, he wasn't phased by Eubank. And he, whatever Eubank threw, he would throw back, and he would stay with him all the way through the fight. And round ten was another another exciting round. But for me, I think the round of the the, the whole fight in particular. I don't know about you, but my my round of this whole fight was round number eleven. I, I I enjoyed ten and eleven. I thought they were both excellent rounds, really excellent. Um, just just the way Watson continually just grinded Eubank down, and Eubank, you could see he was he was exhausted by this point. You know, if you think of a computer game, when you, if, you, if anyone remembers the old boxing computer games, when your stamina goes and you've got <laughs> yeah. literally nothing left in your stamina box, and then all of a sudden you have to back off and retreat while your energy slowly pipes up a little bit so you could just get enough stamina to throw another couple of shots. And that was basically what Eubank was in that situation. He was so exhausted that he was having to back off and retreat just to get the wind back in his lungs again so he could throw another flurry if, if possible. But, but, you know, Watson just kept coming. He kept grafting him down. Uh, you know, he was looking for the pot shots, Eubank. And the trouble is, everything he did... He looked like he was going to fall over with exhaustion, um, and it wasn't even a matter of if it was going to be a Watson punch. Um, but it, you know, it, and that was quite notable in ten and eleven. Um, obviously, the eleventh round was, was another. It was a brilliant round. Um, Eubank was exhausted. He was missing right hands, and he actually he, he went to throw a right hand, and he hit the deck, um, <laughs> and, and the crowd cheered, and then the referee says like no celebration, and then and then Watson just puts his hands in the air, <laughs> and then he hear the whole crowd just cheer because they, you know, they're loving it now. They're getting right behind behind Watson and 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 Eubank looks like he's ready to go. You, you could if 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 Watson could connect with a few sort of a nice combination, there was a it was a good chance that Eubank could have gone in that eleventh round. And it was just it, it's an excellent round. Eubank tries to work behind the jab as well, 
finally, where that's where he's probably trying to just get his rest and sort of just keep Watson off of him. Uh, Eubanks uh, stunned Watson, though, with a left hand, um, and, and he went to finish the fight. But because he was so exhausted, he went to go on the assault and, and the offensive that he actually tired and he had to step back. So it wasn't even that... It, 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 was, it was a peculiar thing where, you know, where you think Watson, he, he's going to... He's in trouble now, but Eubank just... He just never had anything in the tank. So he threw about three or four flurries and then all of a sudden he just, you see him just back off and then Watson just comes forward again. It was, it was really strange to watch, but it was brilliant. I mean, I, I loved the 11th round. It was just great. It was fantastic to watch. It was, and that early start to the round where you were saying about Eubank throwing that right, completely missing, he actually tripped over Watson's foot. Obviously, they were clashing in, in terms of uh, the, 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 the way the feet were, the way the footwork were. He actually fell over the, Watson's foot and the referee was, was obviously waving it away as a slip. Uh, and obviously, the crowd were cheering, thinking it was actual, not that like a puncher connected, but it, it didn't happen. It was Eubank had threw this wild shot and, and eventually got his foot caught on Watson's foot, tripped over, landed on his ass, and then obviously the crowd's <laughs> cheering like mad. But going back to what you were saying about the end of round number eleven, that was really exciting. That was the part that was exciting for me of this fight is when Eubank he sort of traps Watson on the rope, starts to unload a flurry of punches, but all of a sudden Watson just turns him around, gets him back to centre ring, starts throwing the jab down the middle, starts to work the body again and it's just as you say it's it is back and forth action uh and a good old matthew macklin saying it's ebb and flow it's ebb and flow <laughs> this particular fight it was it was it was really like all the way through round number 11 uh and as they got to the end of the round you could see how exhausted both men were eubanks just leaning on watson at the end of the round as the last sort of 20 seconds are there and then he's he's taunting him in he's telling watson to come in and then he's trying to sucker him in to throw body shots in which is what he was trying to do in that 11th round he was like you say he was trying to finish the fight but you could see he was exhausted and he was taking steps back here and taking steps back there and then well, obviously we get the end of the round and then we come out for, for the 12th and final round and again it's just the, the, the whole fight was, was fantastic and the, the 12th round was, was just testament to, to, to how close this fight was and at this point going into the 12th round we Barry McGuigan on, on commentary for one of the broadcasts was saying I've got this a draw I've got this a draw so at this point there's quite a few people that were saying they had it a draw one of the other commentators i couldn't figure out who it was but they were also saying they've got it a draw and then the main the main commentator was saying that the ringside observers and the press actually had eubank two or three rounds up at this point and i think it was mcguigan or the other the other guy was saying no that's not right and it was just like you know they all essentially wanted Michael Watson it felt like it was a very biased Michael Watson commentary to be honest yeah it was um, but I, I mean I, it, was a, it was a funny round 11 because again I mean I gave to Watson but yet Eubank when he was when he did find that energy to, to, to actually sort of go on the attack he was hurting Watson but they just they were just too far and few between if you like so Eubank would start he, sort of, he had, a, had a good go in early exchanges and then dropped off and then he and then Watson would come back, and then he would come back again. But what Watson for me was doing was, as I say, he looked like he what he could put Eubank away because he was just out on his feet. So it was a close round to score. I mean, I went with Watson, so that effectively for for me it won Watson the fight. Um, so again, it's a twelfth round. He didn't even need the twelfth, in my opinion. Um, but again, you, if you give that to Eubank, it, it's draw. Um, and then he go into that. Well, you're going into that sort of last round where Eubank would need need the round. Um, but again, I mean, the one thing about the scout and he starts circling 
Watson on his toes, um, sort of just throwing that out. And, and he actually looked like he, from that little rest he had, he's actually got his second bite of energy and he, he was back out, he got his second wind. Um, but Eubank uh, kept up a decent work rate in that last round. Uh, he was throwing some, you know, some of his shots were just, just getting through. Um, and then and it was, it was, it was, he put his hands up at that point as well, I think, to celebrate it. And the fans booed. <laughs> so <laughs> it, was, it was just interesting how, you know, they were all Watson. I mean, not only were, I think the commentators were fully pro Watson, I think the crowd were, and I think everybody felt that this is the night that Eubank's going to finally get beaten. Um, and it'd be interesting to see how he recovers from it. But another good round from the, in the 12th, I think they were both exhausted by this point, you know, after that round 10 and 11, which were excellent rounds. Um, so, you know, you could give them that, can't you? They were both cream crackers. So it was in, it wasn't a much never much really happened. Um, there was some there were some exchanges, but um yeah, it was again it was a, a difficult round to score that last round. I think a few people went Watson, a few people went Eubank. Um I, I ended up giving it to Eubank. I don't know if that's because I had him down by a couple of rounds by this point. So uh, for me Watson won the fight. Um and and then funny enough a, a lot of people did feel that. I think even if you're not scoring it, I think when you watch the fight, I think Watson deserves it. Um, but yeah, I'm not quite sure what, what, what them judges say because I, I don't think, uh, you know, Eubank was up as, as much as they said they did. Uh, everybody, sorry. Well, what was interesting about this particular fight is that this fight and the panel of judges were were all foreign. Not one of them was English. We had two American judges, one Puerto Rican judge and one American referee, which is something I don't think we see a lot of. Uh, even today in the big fights we get today, we we do always end up seeing like, you know, say, say like Canelo fights, an American fight, like Danny Jacobs recently, he had like, there was a Mexican one and an American one, and whereas this was just completely stripped away from any sort of hometown, hometown decision really, because you had three independent judges, two from America, one from Puerto Rico. Judge uh, Carlos of Colón scores at the contest 116 points to 113 points two in rounds. favour of Chris Eubank. So what, well, Eubank gets the first one by two rounds. That's the Puerto Rican judge. Ladies and gentlemen, Judge Rupert, uh, John Rupert scores the contest, 114 points to each boxer, a draw on John a Rupert's draw card. draw by the Miami judge. Oh dear, Watson doesn't like this. Ladies and gentlemen. He keeps the title. Judge Arthur Lloyd scores the contest, 115 points to 113. The winner and still the WBO champion of the world, Grace well, and the scorecards came in at 115-113 to Eubank, 116-113 to Eubank, and then 114-114, a draw, which made it win for Chris Eubank. So... It felt like, for me, this particular fight should have been scored I'd probably say the draw was probably the correct decision. If I'm really being sort of critical and really critiquing it in that way, if I was scoring it, I'd probably say the draw was the, probably the most accurate of the three cards because I felt like it was a tale of two halves in, in some respects. I felt like Chris Eubank, you know, he dropped a lot of rounds in the first half of the fight, but then as the second half of the fight came, he started to pick up again and he started to land a lot more accurate shots. And I suppose it's, again, it's a case of what you like. And obviously the judges in this instance 
seen that that Eubank had, had won. Well, at least two of the judges had seen that he'd won by a couple of rounds. So he gets the victory and obviously retains his title. But the body language at the end of the fight was quite interesting because when the bell went, Michael Watson's got arms up, jumping around. Eubank sort of got his arms up, but it's kind of just like, he's just doing it to sort of save face, really. You know, just say, oh yeah, I have mm. won. But in, in deep down inside, he probably knew it was really, really close and he could have lost that. And and that's what was justified enough for them to eventually go on to have this rematch a couple of months later. But yeah, I did I did feel like a draw was probably the right decision for me. I think that was probably, yeah, as I say, it, it, I could, he could have given a few rounds to Eubank where I went Watson. It, it, I, I draw, I, it could have been a draw and I think it would have been probably a fair result. Um, yeah, interestingly though, the commentators did keep mentioning the fact there were two American judges and that the Americans normally prefer the aggressor. So yeah. I think they sort of felt that that Watson's going to get it because of the two the two judges were American. So I think they were quite you know they were actually surprised that it, it went in Newbank's favour. I think I think the one from Carlos uh, Colon uh, he gives the one one sixteen one one thirteen. I don't quite get that one. I think the other two I get completely, but. Even Archie, Art, Art Lurie, what his name is, he won 115, uh, 130. And that was what I had to watch. So I suppose you could have gone in either way. Now, I think I think the 161 was a little too much. But probably John Roode would probably, probably got it back with the 140, 140. So going into the aftermath, obviously this warranted an immediate rematch. They felt A lot of the public felt like Watson actually should have won this fight and, and automatically it ended up being a rematch, which uh, th- this show was actually promoted by Barry Hearn, father of Eddie, uh, this particular show. Eubank promoted by... Frank Maloney, who's now Kelly Maloney back then as well. So it was it was a, it was a rematch that was easily made as well. And it, what made it bigger was because it, it it was very sort of in a lot of people's eyes it was controversial. People felt like it it was the wrong decision to have made. So it ended up going to White Hart Lane, the the home of Tottenham Football Club, or was the home of obviously Tottenham Football Club. It went to Hart, yeah. White White Hart Lane, and it was a much bigger match. And it was for me it. It was sort of shades of what was going to come a couple of years later when we had the big Ben and Eubank rematch at Old Trafford. This was, it felt like this was kind of testing the waters a little bit for what was to come in the future, you know, having a, a football stadium like that, a big, a big event uh, in the UK. And obviously, you know, the rest is history, really, with it. We touched on the aft- aftermath and we touched on the, the, the second fight and Eubank obviously won. The, the second fight and he won via a TKO stoppage in the fight now uh, I think from what I remember about it, it was it was actually a, a quite a brutal uppercut which he landed uh, in the, the final round of the fight so this went to our rounds the second fight as well and it was, I'm sure it was an uppercut that he landed in the second fight and what he'd done is he'd hit, he'd, he'd hit his head rocked his head back that hard that he ended up hitting his head off the corner and it just completely sort of took him out of the game completely and obviously what happened after that was 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 really really sad because the you know the boxing board of control didn't have the the the, the right medical teams there and I think it was I think he was in I think was unconscious for like something ridiculous like twenty eight minutes or something like that I read somewhere it was it was at a ridiculous amount of time put it that way and yeah. that's what eventually caused the, the 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 permanent brain damage to Michael Watson and obviously subsequently left him being unable to see unable to hear unable to. Speak 
speak for a couple of years. Um, the guy is an absolute warrior and a fighter because he managed to fight back through all of that. He spent six years after that in a wheelchair and eventually managed to get himself rehabbed to the point where he's now physically able to walk again. He's able to write and read and, and talk and see uh, to a degree again. And that's that's for me that was unbelievable. And that's that's what makes the sort of the tale of of Eubank and Watson bittersweet in a way because he was a fantastic fighter and his career was cut short Michael Watson and, and even though he lost this particular fight with uh, Chris Eubank Senior it makes you wonder what what he could have sort of fights he could have gone on to have in the future oh absolutely and it was, it was a tragic tragic event um, you know it, it, the fight itself it was a good fight you know as I say it, it was obviously it's always going to be overshadowed with what happened and rightly so um, but, but Watson did have Eubank down in the 10th round as well and it was Eubank got up from that round and then as you say in that 12th round it was an uppercut and he sort of pinged his head back and he hit the, the corner or the ropes whatever it was um, which ended the round um, well no tell a lie actually no, that's not right uh, he actually managed to get up but he was clearly shaken visibly shaken and then eventually from, from an onslaught from Eubank the referee stopped it um, not long after obviously Watson collapsed in his corner um, and his condition worsened um, he obviously it was the delay in the medical care there was no ambulance no paramedics at the event which if you think about how boxing is today you know that that's just incredible. That it doesn't. It just beggars to beggars to uh, beggars to be believed. But uh, yeah, from what I'm seeing here, I don't quite recall what happened. I remember. I don't think the, the cameras on. I don't think they were. I'm not quite sure. Um, I don't like to watch this bit. But you know, apparently it was attended to by doctors wearing dinner jackets who arrived late, um, eight minutes late. Um, but you know. Yeah, as you say, you know, it, Watson, what he's gone on to achieve since then is, is unbelievable, quite remarkable. Um, and, and it just shows you, you know, that, that fighting spirit that Michael Watson has. Um, and he's just, he was an absolute, he's an absolute warrior and a trooper. And, and it is sad to see because who knows how good he, it, you know, what he could have gone on to achieve. And, yeah. and not only that, um, with, with, with Chris Eubank as well, Chris Eubank was obviously, you know, upset with the whole situation and he even says that he lost that finishing instinct in the ring. He, he just couldn't finish off fighters anymore, you know. He, he, he said um, he needed to... Yeah, he, he basically... He lost. He went to try and go for the decision. He would try and win a fight on the decision, and you could, it's notable. You can look at his career and you can see that. Um, so yeah, who knows? Between the pair of them, Watson could have gone on to do more, um, and I believe he would have been a fighter. Maybe he could have gone on to fight Collins and Ben again. Um, and Eubank lost that killer instinct. So not good for both fighters. The one thing it was good for is it, it changed the whole of boxing's landscape. Yeah, we've always made sure there's there's an ambulance available to every every single event. In actual fact, every event that happens in boxing now, there needs to be some sort of medical presence there. So, you know, in hindsight, it's helped. And other fighters have had their lives saved because of it. I mean, you've had Adonis Stevenson recently where he's been managed to, you know, we're not quite sure what's going to happen with him. I haven't really looked too far into it. But the fact that, you know, he looks like with, with, with the quick, urgent care he's received, he, he's not going to be in the same situation as what Watson so there's lessons, there were lessons to be learned and they did. They acted, the British Boxing Board of Control, they, they acted and reacted and, um, and it made boxing a safer sport. 
it certainly did make boxing a safer sport and there's less and less of these incidents happening you know we, we, we do know and we do appreciate what these guys put themselves through and you know when you when you talk about an incident like that happening recently obviously Chris Eubank's son Chris Eubank Jr was involved with a fight with Nick Blackwell and that same thing happened Nick Blackwell took a bit of a beating not as much as what you know Watson took I didn't think Watson took as much as what Blackwell did but Blackwell took a beating and, and obviously after that fight he collapsed he ended up uh, in a coma for, for days on end he came out of the coma uh, unfortunately he foolishly decided to go and start sparring again and ended up back in a coma and then come out of that and he's, he's, he's made a recovery to, to from all accounts to a very good degree so he was very fortunate but Michael Watson's journey was is, has been unbelievable and the fact that he took him what 8 to 10 years to actually come back from that and, and to be able to live some type of normalish life was, was, was fantastic and quite recently you know he popped up on Twitter and a lot of people felt like he it was actually just a fake parody account but in actual fact it is the real Michael Watson you can find him he's at MBE Watson on Twitter as well and that was you know it was amazing to, to be able to actually understand that he's able to access social media and interact on social media and he's doing a lot of signings of gloves and he's speaking at a lot of events now and it's really good to see that you know he's getting all that support and, and not a lot of boxers get the same support as, as obviously what Watson's done you know all those years later when you think about it he was a he wasn't like he was the highest of profile fighters back then you know he didn't actually win a world title he competed for it twice but he won a commonwealth title yeah. so it wasn't like he was in a lot of people's eyes this might sound pretty brutal but it's the truth he wasn't like a world he never won a world title so he never got to that yeah. upper upper echelon of being a being a professional boxer because his career was cut short. But yet the support and love he got from from everybody around has been unbelievable to see. And you know I'm really pleased to see that you know he's quite active and he's doing a lot of things these days. So in the aftermath of this fight, Eubank lost his finishing instinct, as he said. Uh, he went on to have his obviously big big matchups with the likes of Nigel Bain in the future. Obviously the Collins fight and then Joe Calzaghe later on in his career. So he, as we as we've said earlier. He's been involved in a lot of great, fantastic fights afterwards. But again, this changed the whole landscape of boxing. This, this, not just the first fight, but obviously the second fight. For the reasons afterwards, it changed the landscape of the sport for for the better. Eventually, for the better. And I've, I have enjoyed talking about this particular fight because it's uh, this first fight. It, you know, for me, was quite a, you know significant in terms of that middleweight division at that time and and what it meant for the middleweight division. And we had to touch on what had happened in the second fight because it's only right to, to, to talk about this and openly talk about these things that happen uh, in the sport and you know god forbid it you know it happens again to anybody else but the thing is it's it's these guys put themselves on the line for our entertainment at the end of it all and some of them don't get treated in the right way and some of them end up coming out of the other side of it and fortunately michael watson was a guy that after a massive struggle uphill struggle he came out the other side yeah yeah and credit to him i thought he'd done you know as i say it's remarkable what he's gone into achieve and he's got a twitter account that's that's brilliant that's that's great to hear things like that um but yeah I, it, it, that that fight also you know it opened the door you know you you mentioned it was at White Hart Lane you know later on you know you had Ben Newbank at Old Trafford in front of 50,000 people so again it had that obviously you know it it stemmed something that that this first fight you know the following on and the fact that people from Watson felt Watson won and it was you know his second title fight and he'd lost another but unfairly people felt he should have been the champion so you know it, it it ignited something a bit like the Groves 
Frutch, if you like, where people felt that Frutch had, 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 shouldn't have won that fight and Grover shouldn't have been stopped. So it's a similar thing and they went on to fire at a big stadium. And then the, the, the roll-on effect is like a domino effect where we get Old Trafford later on down the line with Ben and Eubank. And you get these bigger stadiums and bigger fights, which, is, which again, it, although the second fight had, had its tragic tragedies, it also helped it to help the sport to make it safer. And then you had the boom still there where you want to still get in the fans that still come out to pay tickets to watch these guys. And, and it, that fight, also the first fight, was the last fight that um, Chris Eubank fought at middleweight. He, he finished his middleweight career at 28 and 0. So he was undefeated as a middleweight and he moved into the super middleweight division. And as you know, he's, he went on to fight some big names and then obviously ended with the, the Carol Zaggy loss and uh, Cole Thompson losses at light heavy. But brilliant career from, from Eubank. Unfortunate for Watson that he, he's, his career was ended too early and who knows, he could have gone on. Maybe he could have been like another Bruno and lost a couple of more title fights but ended up eventually winning one, which I think he could have, you know, the crowd would have loved that. And, and, and you know, he had, he had a big Arsenal following because he's a massive Arsenal fan being from Islam as well. So he always had that fan base there. It's, it's just sad to see, you know, who knows what might have happened. But a great fight to cover, Sean, and, and, uh, and I'm pleased that Watson is doing what he's doing and, and you know, long may that continue. And, and just, you know, it just shows, just make this, this make the sport as safe as we can and so we can enjoy it, you know, and, and relaxingly. You don't need to worry about things like this happening anymore. Well, I've got to say, although he didn't win a world title, for me, he won one of, one of the biggest fights which happened for him, which was the fight for his life. And that is, is yeah. worth more than any, any championship belt or any purse that you can ever get in boxing. So it's been a pleasure to speak about it. Really enjoyed it. So, guys, if you've enjoyed listening to this episode, the tale of Eubank versus Watson please go and find us on social media at BTR Boxing Pod on Twitter and BTR Boxing Podcast on Facebook you can go and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts please go on subscribe leave us a rating leave us a review it really really helps I bang on about it every single episode but it really does because we get notifications to tell us when we're hitting the top 100 and we've recently just hit the top 100 of the sports and recreation podcast in the UK and we've even hit the top 20 in Argentina for enough so it's uh it's definitely worth doing for, for for sure so please go and do it you'll get all the extra episodes on there all the legendary nights all the ones to watch you've got the life and times of you've also got some other new series coming up and you've got new segments coming into play over the next few weeks and months so please go and hit the subscribe button go on listen to all the episodes support us follow us on social media we really appreciate it thanks for listening to the tale of eubank versus watson and right now, Thomas Hearns is an open book for Ray Leonard. Backs up against the ropes. This is one of the most unusual calls by a referee in the history of the sport. The first loss, a tremendous victory. Leonard fighting off the ropes. It happened. It happened. Number cut by Douglas. The sound goes to the Simpson. Right hand shot. Excellent. Knocks out by Tyson. Ball slumps to the canvas. The champion struggles to stay on his feet. How do you like it? Podcast Network. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.